So we'll give a bit of a volume check on the sound level. Is it James? Is that? Yeah. Namotasa Bhagavato Rato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rato Sama Sambuddhasa Udang Dhammang Sangang Namasami We're about three weeks into this uh, retreat, which is a three-month or about 12-weeks retreat. And uh, cruising away through the landscape, the oceanscape of our minds. (laughs) The doldrums, the stormy waters, the dolphins, the mermaids, and so on. (laughs) Sirens. Mm. So, many phenomena and levels of phenomena come and go. Mm. And somehow, you know through that or within that or somehow in, along with that all this comings and goings there's some sense of a presence that uh, persists or is here or is present we can never quite grasp it what exactly it is yeah. Yeah, it's not this thought this mood, this belief this drive You know, we, sometimes we th- may think it's a particular um, theme, you know, like well, concentration or detachment or loving kindness or something like that. You know? No, it's not. it picks up those. We channel it through those, but it's not that. Some kind of presence that we keep coming back to that makes us feel larger, more whole, more stable. <clears throat> it's all you ever know, really, and uh, it becomes something, some something that almost integrates into your very experience of being here. There's things, and it's mostly a lot of it is just the things that you're not. You get the sense of well, I'm not really bothered with that. I'm not really caught up in that. I can let go of this. This comes and goes. So you can never really define the presence, but you can recognize all the, the things that it, it is not. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of negative way, which doesn't mean that everything's negative. It just means that somehow the, the, the presence is bigger or more formless or uh, than all the formations, good and bad, that can come. It's also something that we see is, is not uh, doesn't repudiate these uh, formations. It doesn't say loving kindness is a waste of time. It says yes, this is a good thing to do. This is good good direction. This is part of it, and yet it's also you know, there's, a, there's a something that's that's uh, deeper or more still or more constant. You can you kind of come back. Like you, you can you you feel your wholeness, not just your face, but the, even your back and your in the back of your mind. You know, even apart from all the formations and things you can create or do or see or sensitize to, there's also, if you like, the bit that you never quite see. 
but we somehow we feel in touch with that. Just because of this uh, sense of allowing things to come and go and change, and uh, and and um, not not stick. It takes quite a bit of work to not stick, of course. You know, the not the not bit is not that easy. You know, you could, quite a bit of massaging and subtle pressures or uh, unscrewing things or adjusting oneself, letting go of this, recognizing we don't need this or this has come and gone or this is too tight or now, you know. Very simply, recognizes a kind of sense of constancy that haunts us. Remember when the, the Buddha first um, went on his quest, he said, uh, search for the deathless. He didn't actually understand the Four Noble Truths. He didn't start with that. Saying so there must be something beyond this, just this changing world of shapes and forms that come and go and pass and arise and cease. I'm in search of that. What is that? I look for that. And after his realization, when he came to the um, meet his his former colleagues, the first thing he said was, "I found the deathless. It's been found." Yeah. It's kind of when they pricked up their ears. Oh yeah, he found found something. You know, a thing. He didn't say, uh, "Hello, everything. Life, you know, life is suffering," but. <laughs> Oh, there is suffering in life. He said, I found this. And then he went, oh, yeah. So what's this about? And he says, well, if you want to find it, this is what you have to do. You have to kind of consider these things. Is this skillful? Is that skillful? Uh, is this worth hanging on to? Is this satisfactory or unsatisfactory? And you go through this process. There's a process which is described in the Four Noble Truths. The Eightfold Path and the understanding of where, what stress is about, what hanging on is about and the possibility of letting go. And that's the process. And he said, there is the deathless. So in a way you have these sort of, uh, sometimes these two ways of describing it. One is, we're looking for the end of suffering. So suffering is something, or stress, or tension, or anxiety, or uh, limitation. Uh, That's something we can, uh, we can know that, we can touch that. We can all get quite specific references to that experience in our lives. So, yeah, I want the end of that. That's one way of look. That's the process. And, uh, but also just to remember there's a sense of, you know, something is realized. Deathlessness is realized. It's not an idea. It's not a perception. It's not a mood. Something, but there is a realization of something. Or some kind of realization experience. And it's, you hold these two together. If you like, there's the stopping of this, because of the stopping of that, there's the awakening to this. This is a kind of very familiar language in uh, structure, language structure in Buddha's teaching. It always talks about with the stopping of this is the arising of that, with the arising of this is the stopping of that. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of a practice path can be seen in those ways, you know, because we check the hindrance, there's the arising of, of samadhi. Or you could say with the arising of samadhi, with, there's the disappearance of the hindrances. So you, you can look at it in either way. Uh, you know, but it's always with the stopping of this is the arising of that, or with the arising of this is the stopping of that. There's this kind of way of experiencing it. It's like we could say, you know, when we come in here, we switch the light on, the darkness goes, the light comes. Now, is it because the darkness disappeared or because the light appeared? <laughs> They're not even, one doesn't cause the other, if you see what I mean. They're just two ways of describing the same thing. But we might know darkness. We might be able to specifically feel the sense of occlusion and darkness. And we know oh, the disappearance of that. And it's not that, you know, but that, exactly that, just the disappearance of that, that is the realization. It's just like the ending of the darkness is the light. It's not 
ending the darkness then causes the light or uh, creates the light or somehow it's just the, it actually is it it's just another way of describing it so you know with the ending of suffering there is the arising of that it's there it's present and this is uh may seem you know just kind of academic really but it it's quite significant in terms of the particular um, tendency that uh, occludes us, that makes us, that makes us um, contributes to our, our fumbling and our confusions, is, is clinging, grasping. Clinging is a sense of to get this and to get rid of that. I have this, you know, you cling to something, or to have it, or you cling to something in order to chuck it out. So, but that very quality of clinging acts as something that that obstructs the realization experience. It's a tightening, it's a holding on, it obstructs realization. So you can't cling, you can't get hold of, you can't grasp deathlessness. You know, one way of defining the deathless is, the Buddha says, the complete freedom of the heart through non-clinging the relinquishment of all clinging this is the deathless it's not that oh when you don't you stop doing this then you get hold of that <laughs> one way of describing deathlessness is just stop clinging so it's not like it's another state that you can get to it just is the not holding on to states is that and of course uh, uh, one of the you know, the main um, theme of our practice is to just to deepen the subtlety and the uh, of awareness that begins to recognise what clinging, where clinging is, and what it feels like, and that we can stop doing it. And this goes very deep. It goes into not just external objects, but into um, the very fabric of what we sense ourselves as being. You know the, the the vortex of thoughts and feelings, and moods. Um, are called the five aggregates: you know, the feelings, the form, bodily form, um, feeling, pleasure, pain. We tend to very much, I am this, or it's happening to me, or it's mine, or you know I'm I'm obsessed by this, or I'm assailed by it. We certainly we see as we see a sense of self. We grasp. We tense. We reach out, we retract. In the experience of feeling, there's that. Our um, terms of how we recognize things, perception, sanya, our sense of familiarity, our sense of um, uh, you know, establishing meanings in our lives, you know, perceptions. Sort of short labelings that we have for things, how we kind of tend to come into situations we don't really know, and then we begin to go through this quite rapid process of filling in the blanks. You know, she's this, he's that, this, that, this, this, this. this you know, and you notice this when you first come to situations. You something in your mind rushes around, filling in all the blank spots, the things we do, the things we don't do, what's the right, the wrong, to establish a kind of feeling of, ah, oh, now, oh, now I know it. Yeah. Yeah. And you do, of course we do this with people a lot. And, yeah, you know, it's useful, but the problem is you can actually begin to consider that, that one's perception and one's, in, one's meanings, one's feeling, one's impressions of a person are the real thing. Yeah. You know, that, that is the person rather than that's your take on it. And this gets challenged because, of course, uh, people are always shifting out of what we consider them to be. And same for ourselves, of course. The perceptions, the impressions we have of ourselves um, we tend to take as being the this, this statement of what we really are. And although other people often, we can you know, disturb that 
sometimes we feel disappointed because you're not you're not who I thought you were you're not you know sometimes the, the thing this grip of perception is so strong that we we can't see ourselves other than as we've learnt to be as we've learnt to judge and assess ourselves mm. particular kind of familiarity pattern of habits and uh, energies and rhythms and moods and so on and this this means we we cling we get clinging in this sense to um, what's systems and structures systems systems and customs you know, we systematize our lives we become routine we become we get familiarity patterns with familiar ways of doing things uh, so the, the life loses some of its freshness but it gets kind of sense of stability that we look for the sense of constancy and yet somehow it's an, it's a constancy that becomes kind of wearisome because it's it's uh it's something that has to be held together and it, it it flattens you get a feeling of being eventually kind of constricted by how we've familiarized or customized or or uh, colonized our reality you know same old thing same old thing here i am again you know sick of being me um this, this, we we recognize that this kind of constancy is not actually a, a constancy that's innate it's a constancy that's that's being created through a kind of a lethargy if you like a certain unwillingness to see things freshly in the moment or to be fresh in the moment we fall into patterns Also, the clinging gets uh, around the uh, energies we have, volitional formations, the uh, patterning of our minds, our bodies, particular um, energy levels, the do it, and our ability to do, our impulsiveness, or a lack of it. Yeah. So sometimes we get cling to a certain sense of well, I can't do, you know, or I, I'm not allowed to do, or I can't do, or I shouldn't do, or we get into I've got to do, you know, you get particular um, patterning of of what we do. On a retreat, this is always uh, something that these get challenged, don't they? The impressions of 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 our life impressions of what we are, the impressions we have of other people. So that we're not actually generating the kind of behaviour and the uh, and the activities and the speech and so forth that keep cementing us into those familiar perceptions. Suddenly we become a little bit strange to each other, a bit strange to ourselves. And there is a resistance to that. You can feel we feel a little bit unsteady in that. Because one has got so used to a sense of you know, this perception of he's a good guy or she's this way or whatever, and a perception of it. And then we get also a bit of a challenge in terms of the change of volition. You know, so just the steadying every day morning puja, every day evening puja, um, you know, working according to a time, sitting, walking. Uh, not doing a lot else really so we can get either the system sense to lurch into lethargies you know get a bit bored tired or goes goes into spasms of of, of wanting to be active one of the things i've got to do need to do got to get on with and you know any kind of this this volitional stuff starts to you know kick around when when it's we're no longer actually able to to hold it, to to grasp at it, to cling to it in terms of following it through. And you see these, then you begin to see, oh, there's just this kind of energy. You know, now it thinks, now it worries, now it wants to give up, now it feels buoyant and happy, now it feels peaceful and stalled, now it's feeling a bit tired and dull, and now it wants to go down and wants to go up. 
he wants to do, he wants to stop doing, it squabbles with itself. <laughs> this kind of volitional thing. And yet somehow one is still a sense, oh, this is me, you know, this is the me bit. And then we also find ourselves the, the sense of clinging to, to the very uh, fact of things arising, consciousness. Something's happening to me. I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm touching, I'm feeling. This is the me. Me is, this is happening to a me. Yeah. We don't know who the me is, but it's, yeah. And this is, uh, a lot of this is kind of, becomes involuntary. Yeah. So when we go on retreat, one of the kind of humbling experiences is just how involuntary a lot of this clinging is. It's not, you don't decide, let's go out and cling today. You know. Very opposite. You know, there's this not cling, let go, you say to yourself. And you find this, you know, as soon as you say cling, <laughs> it's like a reflex of clinging. Yeah, it's quite a process. You know, I don't know how many, how just to sit and meditate. It's okay, just sit, body, and breathe in, breathe out. Sounds simple, straightforward enough. Just got that one sorted, we're going to the next step. Well, the weeks go by. (laughs) You know, it's not this has to be the only thing to do in life, but just it's recognizing, you know. What happens when we just try to 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 be that simple? You know, all this is uh, accumulations of um, patterning. Uh, is com- com- compelling, and it's different levels of it, aren't there? There's the kind, if you like, the level of thinking mind, kind of very surface level. You might say the bubbling thinking mind with the verbal formation or the thought formation. You get the level of beneath that when you begin to, to recognize the thinking mind. And you, well, what's this going? What's this? First of all, you maybe cling to the uh, uh, clinging occurs around the ideas. You know, it's involuntary. You think thinking occurs and it's me thinking and you've got to sort this out, figure this out. And it's me thinking, no, oh, I better do this, I better do that. It's all about what to do, or what I have done. It's the doing bit. Yeah. So often it takes a sense of a retreat, just, just here we are, you know, and the thinking is kind of spooling out of energy in that level. And you think, wow, this is just a, why do I do this, you know? And um, in that kind of, almost in that, recognition, something like a kind of helplessness in a way, but a, an amazement that one could be, there could be this amount of compulsion going on. Something just steps back. It happens. You know, as soon as you, as soon as that real recognition of what dukkha means, it means not just it's suffering or stressful, it's a sense of the stuck you know, the, the helplessness of it all. Seeming that, that moment, it feels helpless. You feel very much just doing that. And as soon as you recognize that, it's like something you steps back. And the recognition of suffering, there is. At that very moment of recognizing stress and suffering, there is something else. Like with the, the recognition of this, there's the arising of something else. It's like, and oh, wow. And you begin to maybe say, what a worry here. No, oh, it's worry. Or a lot of um, doubt. Or oh, craving. Oh, aversion. You know? And you kind of come out of the thought process and you come to something like a heartful sense of maybe something a little more um, emotively responsive rather than just reactive. You feel, one feels a sense of 
non-attachment to the thoughts. But with the non-attachment is actually a non-attachment that's still, you know, connected to to presence. So you you feel a sense of relationship to the thought, to the thinking process, and perhaps feeling of the, the stressfulness or the unnecessariness or the, the pathos of it. Yeah. And, and you, something at that moment, the realization, you, your system seems to deepen and, you, and it goes quieter because there's a shift has happened. Something begins to recognise this whole, um, all the energies and the movements of the of our of these aggregates, of these aggregates, um, are towards establishing some sense of stability. You know, why why do we familiarise everything? Why do we create load of impressions? It's just so that we feel a sense of ah, oh, now I know what's going on. Now I know where I am. Ah, oh, settled. Why do we think so much? You're figuring something out. Why is it happening? It's trying to make something um, solid or known. And the idea would be, well, once you've got this sorted, that'll be it, you know, you've figured it out. But what begins to recognize is the search for constancy may be a, a valid one or almost innate in us. Something wants to really settle. But that what it, the process that, that, uh, that, we, that we undertake to to find that doesn't actually work. You never actually find the conclusive thought. You never find the place. That's it. Thought enough. Finished. Got it all sorted now. Yeah. Like, you know, the scientific world or the, the level of knowledge just keeps expanding. There's never, and you're never going to be an end to it. But it takes uh, something to, to, to really get that message, isn't it? That tomorrow you just don't know, you can't, you can't think it. You can't think the future. You can't think the past. You can't really think the present. <laughs> you can think of what to do in them, but that doesn't mean, it doesn't, all that doesn't give you a sense of constancy, it gives you a sense of continually having to do. So the only sense of constancy you get is a sense of continual agitation. Mm-hmm. And that agitation is, is suffering, stressful. Is there another constancy that one could have that would be less stressful? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe it's just to relate to my thoughts and to just calm them or appease them, or lift them, or quieten them. You know? So we get that sense of, of uh, oh, this feels better. Now I know what to do. Yeah. Now I've got something that's more, um, a level at which it feels more um, sustainable and, and uh, valuable. Learning to calm, quieten the mind. Learning to uplift the spirits. Learning to, to think clearly learning to think, recollect things, recollect loving-kindness, recollect the Buddha, recollect our own mortality, recollect the concerns and the fate of others. It doesn't require a huge amount of of searching for information, just to to handle thought, deepen it, use it to take us into a territory where we feel much more connected and... uh, and constant, rather than something we're just continually spooling out on, spinning away on. So there's a rising of something like conscience and concern, Uriotapa, of compassion and kindness. Of soberness, recognition of death, 
So these are, these begin to occur through through so you know just in meditation, taking the time to really you know consider the thinking process, what it's about, and then you know trying to find something, trying to sort plan the future turn over the past, the possibles, the probable, the ought to, the could, the shouldn'ts, the what ifs, the her and the him and the this and the that. Everything is kind of taking us out into a multiplicity. And then are you ever going to get that finally that jigsaw puzzle every completely um, together? You know, I can find myself thinking about, well, is it Chithurst Monastery and then if I'm going away next year and I sort that and what I do with my plants and then I figure out my, my books and then you know, I think about the training of the monks or I think about the possibles and then mean, meanwhile there's another level of thinking about well, how do I develop meditation and you know, it's kind of an enormous kind of array of all these little kind of planetary systems of thought and you're trying to put them into some cohesive pattern to get through a day. <laughs> Eventually, anyway, you just stop thinking. <laughs> it's the way to get through the day. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, maybe do that. But obviously this isn't something you can just dis- decide to do as an idea. It's got to come to the recognition of the stressfulness and the and the trappedness of it. It's like a fly struggling in jam, just kind of kicking its legs and not ever get anywhere. And you think you're actually going to pull a world together like that, pull a future together like that. Is that really going to happen? Could anybody ever do it? You know, we create these spider's webs of complexity and then suddenly something just walks through it and bang whole lot's gone, somebody dies, you know. Oh, things change, things shift. Well, maybe the best thing is just to stay open, but then, you know, rather than dismissing the whole, you know, process of thought, can that, can that just be a tool that's based upon something that's deeper? Like, I want to be in touch with... Um, moral qualities, with uh, kindness, with steadiness, with calm, with uh, reflectiveness. So it gives us a kind of another level at which we settle on. And then we can think, not think, we can assess or contemplate thinking process. So you, you integrate or you, the thinking process. It takes you to a place where where you, you think skillful thoughts when they're necessary and suitable. And you're not bother- you can do that. You're not, it's not some kind of pogrom against every thought. This is a quality of non-attachment or viveka. It's not a stand against thinking. It's something that integrates thinking. So your you thinking's got a, a deeper place that it comes from. Thinking is not just kind of discursive, random, filling in the time thinking, but thinking as is con, con, uh, contributes towards truer value, a sense of more integration and completion in one's life. Something a bit more constant is established. Mm-hmm. You get these ideas that uh, we shouldn't think or stop thinking is is de- detachment, but that takes you to some very peculiar situations. <laughs> you know, how do you how do you integrate thinking? You just kind of try to block it all or stop it all. <clears throat> So then that, that kind of detachment is not non-attachment, it's a sense of 
a kind of division between the thought faculty and something else. See, one kind of has something that cuts, divides. It's kind of then there's a tension between thinking and not thinking, yeah. and you get kind of like uh, resentful about thinking or uh, trying to stop it or you attack it. But to find a place where it integrates, because you have a, it has got a truer basis, and a basis of empathy, compassion. Uh, clarity, reflectiveness. This is very helpful because it it means that you know, we retain a sense of coherence or integrity or or kind of presence rather than cut ourselves up into bits and pieces rather than chop off part of what 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 occurs through us. We just settle it into a larger sphere, and you get the sense of something a bit more stable in which thinking and not thinking can, can settle. <coughs> this is what we might call the kind of emotive level of the, of the mind. But this, of course, this level is still quite um, volatile. There's, there's a joy or pathos. There can be a sense of uh, grief or concern. And then the happiness and joy, so you get these kind of waves of it occurring. A sense of conviction or a sense of loss. So that the... the uh, territory of the heart is also something that doesn't really provide one with an ultimate constancy sort of still impermanent you recognize just as you you see one's ability to be affected by things by the tragedies in the human realm by the blessings in the human realm the sense of tremendous uh, gratitude one has I feel as myself, you know, friendship, gratitude, blessings, um, honor, the joy of, of being human, being in a human realm, and then the pathos of it, the suffering and the, and the uh, things that, you know, loss, separation, and so on. It's kind of, you don't want to not um, sense it, and yet, where where does it all make sense? Where does it all settle eventually? It's like you have lions and lambs, or lions and and carnivores and herbivores, and you know. Which one do you take sides with? Do you feel glad when a lion kills an antelope because the lion has finally got something to eat? Or do you feel sad because the antelope got killed? You know? Do you feel pleased for Mrs. Ant- for Mrs. Lion? Dad's come home with some dinner? Or do you feel sorry for Mrs. Antelope when her husband's dead? Where it was. <laughs> you know? well, which, way, which way do you go? You know? So it kind of begins to begin to get a sense of uh, of um, equanimity, which is not a dispassion, which doesn't mean that there's not the feeling, but the feeling is able to be felt and allowed to rise and pass. A sense of change, the 
impermanence, the inconstancy of the, the emotional feeling, you know, the, the inspirations that we have and the desperations that we have, particularly in terms of our own, own life, you know, mood swings. Just by recognizing how, how almost involuntary it all is. Suddenly get affected, react, affected, react. And you think, oh, I shouldn't be affected and react. I don't want to be affected and react. But it doesn't stop it. You may be able to kind of mask it a bit more or suppress it a bit more quickly. But you still get affected and feel things. And then you come to the point when eventually something in you stops trying to not be affected. <laughs> yeah. Not be happy and sad. Not feel angry and, and joyful. Not feel resentful and... Um, and uh, delighted, you know, these kind of ways. Oh, it's just that. It's just that. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get that sense? You know, oh, it's just me doing my bit again. You know, just go through the ups and downs of it all. And it's almost as if you have to come to the point when it's really seen as uh, or experienced almost uh, as something that's involuntary you can't stop it because what becomes clearer is that that because you can't stop it it's not yours it's not something that you do you don't say oh, I'll be happy today I think I'll get wound up for a while <laughs> be, yeah let's do some wi- let's get some winding if you do that it's not a proper wind up you know it has to be something that just that rushes through you, otherwise it's not the real thing. You can't fake it. You can't say, oh, now I'll you know, fall in love or whatever. It has to just suddenly take over. That's the real thing. The real thing is not self. And it's almost because at that moment one recognises the, the kind of involuntary nature of that. You, strange enough, in the moment of the, the realization of, of that, the involuntary, the stressfulness, the unsatisfactory, the inconstancy of that experience, just at that, there's a realization. You, you, you deepen, the deepening. Deepening is called dispassion. Virago, dispassion. It's just there he is again. Here I am again. But now you feel, oh, it's not here I am again, it's here there's that again, that particular energy. Uh, and interesting enough, rather, what occurs with these processes of, of recognition and realization is that you think it, it doesn't mean you, know, you resist it, but, but, or that you favor it, or that you. But the very quality of realization, in a way, starts to drain away the energy and the intensity of that. It's like you, because the realization creates some space, somehow not all of you, what you've got goes into that anymore. It's like there's a bit of space around things. So that instead of being 100% in something, there's a sense of 50%. 20% in something, or even not in that anymore. That doesn't happen. Particular topics don't happen. Particular emotional patterns don't have to happen. Not because you stopped them, but because you, you saw them. You, you realized them. You, you had dispassion towards them. So you don't cling and then cling to the opposite. Or set up, either you've got to, oh, I've got to be like this, I've got to be someone who doesn't experience these things. That's called clinging. Yeah. It's a clinging that, that tries to cling to the, to the antithesis of an experience. But clinging is not the path to the deathless. If we don't cling, it means there's got to be, in some way, a real recognition of, the, of clinging. We understand clinging rather than cling to clinging. You know, the cling is like that, and it's changeable. And that recognition 
is called not clinging. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's it's the interesting that that uh, the way we we would imagine things is like, you know, there's not a gap. There's not a separation. It's not like there's the darkness and the light and something in between the two. Just the the recognition of the darkness that is the light that is the seeing it's like that light comes on for that particular sense of that you know, just c- contemplating in, in my own experience the ranges of thoughts and the passions and the beliefs and the moods and so on they come and go yet no longer there isn't the same kind of reaction to them and because of that they tend to stop fade out or pass both the topics and the energies they've got a space to almost you know spill out into and then finish And that, that realisation seems to take you to a kind of deeper level of mind, called the level of intent, which is not about a particular emotional mood, so much as almost the sense of confidence or conviction or certainty or this is this, you know, this is the way it is. Uh, um, and this is very, where it gets very, um, this is very significant that we, if we can come out of these particular patterns because often this level of intent is something that people rarely reach. You know, we get so engaged with the other two levels that we only maybe reach a level of intent, perhaps at a very significant point in our lives, somebody dies, some big major thing happens, and you go, your world disappears, and you what am I about? You know, you have a breakdown, or you divorce, or a big thing happens, you quit your job, or you leave home, and something you have to, wait a minute, who am I, what am I, all this stuff that I was in, supporting, con- concerned with, worried about, trying to hold together, is now bop, gone, what am I? You know? And it throws you back into a sense of intent. For many people that may only occur, you know, three or four times in a life. You know, the rest of the time we're in there, doing it. Uh, but in, for meditation, you're trying to, you know, come to that place more constantly, more continually, and eventually reside in that place of intent. What is the intent in our life? What's the, what's the meaning of it? What's the purpose of it? We might say it's to find deathless or to find a constant, to find the true ground. Some people say, well, find myself or know myself. It's all just language, of course. But what, what, what this pointing to is this this sense of the search for the constant, the true, the essential. What's the real bit? You know? And something is, no, this is the only thing, all kinds of things. Yeah, you can feel all kinds of things, up, down, like, dislike. But what's the real stuff happens whether you like it or don't like it? You know? That isn't the, 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 the thing that negotiates life. Stuff happens when I don't like it. So there's something else beyond that. What's the real bit here? And so when we take this internally, you know, the sense of knowingness, perhaps we might call it that, knowingness, um, s- certainty, steadiness, could be a particular value. We have spaciousness, clarity. Um, yeah. We find different names for it, but there's a certain place in which we we feel stabilized, and it's it's independent of the particular feelings, emotional moods that come and go, thoughts that come and go, situations that come and go, terrible situations, things we really don't want happen. Yeah, and this is what somehow uh, your know, life is is asking of us. You go through into situations you really don't want to have happen. You know, yeah, we always lose our loved ones, don't we? 
We really don't want that to happen. It's going to happen. You know, it's not. It's not if. It's just when. Yeah. When when does the thing that you can't bear happen, <laughs> and you find I don't like. I don't want. No. No. I can. I can cope. I can't manage. I can't. Yeah, yeah. You're managing. You know. You're coping. You're be, you're bigger than this. And it's sometimes in these, these kind of really testing situations that you, you come to and you, you're actually cleaned by it because you recognize, yeah, I don't want and I don't like and I can't, but here I am. I've come through. Yeah. Some, so you get to the point where, where there's a sense of stopping, neuroda, cessation. All of the hopes and the wishes and the resistances and the... the Got to make it, you know, suddenly it's stopped. And you're just present with the way it is. Very clean, very cleansing. And as I say, for some people that own that comes at a moment of, of trial and shock, such that actually they don't necessarily integrate that experience of stopping. Sometimes you have these what are called mystical experiences when your whole story stops and you're just awake. But it isn't necessarily integrated. You know, what was that? Oh, I don't know. Well, perhaps it was something I did, or something that happened, you know. Or, or particularly if it occurs through some some unfortunate experience, it's not. It's difficult to integrate it. You get over it, and that's the problem. <laughs> you go. We go back to our, you know, me, my habits, and you know, suddenly our life kind of closes down again into another little kind of um, con- set of conveniences and habits. Stay in the open state. This is the kind of, uh, yeah. sometimes life can show us this. I remember that the, several occasions actually, but you know, it was particularly a time when I was going to get my head cut open in, in Bihar, being attacked by bandits. They were going to chop my head off, well, chop my head off with an axe, which I didn't really want to have happen. But as there were six of them and one of me, and they had axes, it didn't look as lot you could do about it, really. <laughs> so you think, oh, oh, well, this is the end then. Uh-huh. Stop. Uh, you know, and you think, that's all right. You know, there isn't the fear, the panic, because you, you actually met the place of ending. And uh, it doesn't matter. You, you realize that all that flurry and isn't you know it's not it's not really where you're at there's nothing there's something else and it's got a power to it that place there's a certain sense of immovable truth to it of of uh, finality to it what we do in in meditation you know rather than wait to have somebody come and you know, stick a knife at our throat or whatever it is, these crisis situations, is you, you develop um, one-pointedness and uh, concentration, samadhi. So it gives you this sort of sense of... Um, samadhi is, the, is an agent, an agency that, that calms the thinking ventilates and relaxes the, the mood tones, the emotional feeling, you actually progressively settle down to this level of intent. It's a, it's a progressive settling into this place. Mm. Rather than having to get suddenly through, you know, jump through it or get thrown through it by the uh, implacable forces. This is what, so when we practice meditation, it's rather like, like that, you know, you begin to, to handle the thinking process, then dispassionate about the emotional processes, and just keep using something like breathing or a particular meditation object to keep, you know, something that's as implacable as a knife at your throat, you know, it's like your, your meditation object, it's that, it's that, it's that, it's that, it's that, you can actually come down to the point when other things just start to give up. You just pass by them. But it's not, a, it's not an antagonism. 
It's a finding because the whole process of samadhi is one whereby um, all kinds of, of um, positive factors are necessary, such as um, joy, ease, embodiment. You're really integrating the experience so that you're, in a way, creating a kind of comfortable, open, quiet space where the energies can settle. This is why it integrates, because you've actually um, opened rather to emotions and hopes and despair, and but pass through them. Something that's who's more constant than this other stuff. Mm. But uh, of course, actually, samadhi isn't really a final thing in itself because there's still with that there's still the sense of the stress of having to you know do all this stuff and get it going and then come out of it and then get it going again mm. but samadhi is but samadhi is useful because what it does is it begins to give us a sense of having a place to contemplate the uh, patterning of our moods and thoughts and feelings hopes opinions perceptions of ourselves and step back from it all, let them cease. So we, we recognize there's something else we can go to apart from what we keep creating ourselves as. And it, it facilitates that, that particular journey, that particular shift. You get a very um, solid uh, sense with that, grounded sense with that. But uh, see, the drawback with samadhi is it's something that I do and happens to me. Here I am in it, or I just had it, or I'm good at it, or not very good at it. So it becomes uh, uh, another another experience. So it's not deathless. But the shifting and the ability to shift, you know, we recognize this this is something that you, you you get you begin to sense there's always a possibility of that you shift out of the place of stress out of, there's always that shift possible and so with certainly with samadhi the sense of just recognizing the the um, compulsiveness or the grasping of intent sense of purpose or aim to get somewhere or arrive at some state or hold it together or get calm or get quiet or get profound you know it's just enough of this who's going to get anything anyway (laughs) you know who's going to who is the who is the one who's going to get it or have it or become it and it's uh you know, the, the, at that point, there can be the relinquishment of that, just through feeling that, just through feeling that, you know, the becoming process, and the compel, compelling quality of it, just through feeling that, as stressful rather than as attractive or urgent or, um, you know, me doing it. Anything, just just feeling that compulsion. Mm. So the relinquishment, release. But this is graduated, and and in a way, there's this this something you you can begin to know almost at the beginning is your one's ability to let go. Mm. Just around ordinary things, humble things, mundane things, and, and the distinct um, not wanting to let go. <laughs> you know, how, how it, you know, there's something that doesn't want to let go. Yeah. So one of the things I do from time to time in, in my dwelling 
I just start to sift through the things I've got and think, no, I don't really, I've got too much stuff here, you know, I've got these bits of paper, documents and forms and accounts and bits and pieces and things that people give and clothing and this and that and the other. A lot of stuff here. Uh, this is a bit much, really. I'm going to throw. Well, that could be handy. I just put that over here. Uh, I don't really need five pairs of socks. Yeah, but one might wear out, so I just put that somewhere else in case. It, wait a minute. You know, and then it's got, you know find us a resistance to it. So I have to remember. Look, I was okay. I've only got one pair of feet, you know. <laughs> I was okay before somebody gave me these socks. <laughs> I'll be okay if they disappeared. So why don't I just do it myself, you know? <coughs> so I sort of just put something down and say, just, now just see how many times you actually use that. And it just sits in the drawer, it goes in one drawer, and then I clean it out and put it in another drawer. You know, tidy up and put it somewhere else. And look, you know, you've had that for two years. You never actually used it. <laughs> you get something, yeah, but it can't come in handy one day. <laughs> See, the amount of energy one's got into tidying this thing up, cleaning it, moving it around. You know, do you know how much free space you'd have if you hadn't actually put your had to deal with all this stuff? Yeah, right. Yeah, I'll, I'll put that there for now. <laughs> so tomorrow. So sometimes I have to think, look, what, what do you actually, if you're going to walk out the door tomorrow, what do you actually need to live with? Start with that. You know, and then just, you know, imagine this was never there. Would you really be that miserable? <laughs> so it's, it's, of course, you know, you have things or don't have things. I like to try to recollect the basics of... Uh, you know, bowl robes. You may laugh when you go to my cootie, you think it's just bowl and robes. <laughs> but the rest is often stuff that you actually need to do with the functioning of, 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 of being in a particular role I'm in. And just to kind of keep it like that. And think, what, what, would you, what would you be without this? What if this wasn't here? What if you didn't have that particular thing? What was it like before that? How, how difficult was it? It was all right. You know, it was, yeah, this was great, but it was convenient. But actually, the sum total of my life wasn't any more happy. And then, but you start to kind of notice the, you're just noticing the clinging and what it does. So you don't do it just by getting angry or ideological about it but actually just really contemplating you see something, you've got something and you cling you know, what, what the experience is like a sense of um, cl- becoming smaller, tighter and then there's either worry, uh, concern imagining fears anticipations you know, all, all conducive to this and it's, it's held with some agitation. So, just what that feels like. And then to recognize, as right at that particular moment, you know, that you, you, can, you, can, you can come out of that. Sometimes the thing, we, we imagine we can't stop clinging. We imagine we really... I like that. We react to the clinging. We cling to the clinging as our identity. Because perhaps we haven't really met it properly. We've tried to resist it. We've tried to deny it. We've tried to get over it. we try to be opposite to that. we try to not cling. But we haven't actually met clinging. You know, and felt it. And seen it. And realized it. It's, that is the process that really allows the letting go. It's not through being other than that. So you, you, when you really meet clinging, feel it in your body, in your mind, and the, the helplessness of it, the stickiness of it, the intensity of it, something you kind of actually comes out, strangely enough. 
It's only clinging to clinging that keeps it going. It's always, you know, the, the kind of incredible honesty and pragmatism of this. This is not, you know, it's not, it's not an ideal, it's an idealistic kind of practice. Sometimes we cling to ideals about what we should be. It's a very honest and pragmatic and uh, just meeting ourselves all these levels of our experience but at the same time it definitely requires um, strengths to do that focuses to do that uh, occasions to do that it's not something that's just going to happen by itself Uh, but the practices that we do make it possible not to supplant ourselves not to become something other than ourselves it makes it possible for us to really meet ourselves and hold our, hold our attention right at the place where we're being created in terms of our possessions, our habits, our moods, our thoughts. And realize that, that isn't actually me, that's just something happening to me. Oh. And something stops doing it. Just, just that, that recognition. This is what waking up's about enlightenment or awakening it's not creating something other than that it's just really really awakening to it Mm. that's why the deathless is not a state Uh, it's it's an understanding of states Mm. it's a dispassion to states it's a place where states stop or no longer have to form. And it sounds like a tall order, but you get a hint of it every time you meet yourself and there's no reaction. Something doesn't pick up a state. It just stops reacting to, creating states. You get that. This is something to be uh, dwelt in. Very specific. Mm-hmm. So what uh, mindfulness and attention, careful attention does, is we take some of the, even the most ordinary humdrum experiences. Just hold your attention right there. It's very grounded. Just really holding your attention right into the particular thought or mood you have, rather than some you know other story. And there's where you can recognise it in yourself. Anyone?